Well, this morning, we're going to look once more at the book of Daniel. Now, I know that there are going to be some folks that say, ah. So let me just tell you what's going to happen. This morning is going to be our last look in Daniel for a while. Aw. We'll come back to Daniel in a couple of months. But I couldn't quit without getting through chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't know what chapter 6 is, look up. You'll see a picture, probably give you a clue. The book of Daniel is a marvelous book. I, I, I just want to tell you something, though, before we go any further. I want you to understand something. The Old Testament is not a collection of children's stories. All right? It is the inspired truth of God. And some of it is kind of graphic and really not very child-oriented at all. But the story of Daniel is a great historical account that tells us about the life of a man, some men, and how God worked in and through their lives to accomplish his purpose and his will, not only in their lives, but in the lives of those who were around them, those that they touched. The account of Daniel himself is the story of a man who rose from being basically a prisoner of war to being the president of a nation. He and his friends were taken as captives to Babylon. They were handpicked to be part of the king's political internship program. And in that program, they rejected the king's food and wine, which could have led to their death, but because of the providence of God, it led to their recognition and their promotion. In chapters 2 and 4, we read about Daniel serving as the royal interpreter of dreams, which once again led to his recognition and promotion. Daniel faithfully served, even though he was different from everyone around him. Daniel faithfully served King Nebuchadnezzar throughout his lifetime. And after he passed and his son Belshazzar became the king... Daniel faithfully served him as well. In Daniel chapter 5, we read about this man of God predicting the death of Belshazzar and the fall of his kingdom when it was going to be overrun by the Medo-Persian king Darius. It happened just like Daniel said it would. Daniel's reputation was so pristine that when that happened... King Darius left him in his position of authority even as he was establishing his own kingdom within Babylon. You know, if you read this, you come to a conclusion. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But God's servants will remain until the perfect will of God is fulfilled and carried out. But it's not always easy. And that's what's recorded for us in Daniel chapter 6. Now, I understand the irony of what I'm about to show you. But I titled this sermon this morning. You may have to help me get there. I don't know if I'm going to get here. Here it comes. When your faith comes under fire. Now, you're going to say, wait a minute. 
We were in the furnace before this. It just fit, folks. I'm just going to tell you now, there were too many easy puns related to being thrown to the wolves or thrown to the lions or whatever. I just didn't want to go there, okay? But we're going to look together in Daniel chapter 6. If you've got your Bible open there, I want you to find verse 3 because that's where we're going to begin our Scripture reading. And again, this is a lengthy passage of Scripture, but God tells the account so much better than I possibly could that I just want us to read it together. I know it's lengthy, and if it's difficult for you or you cannot or aren't comfortable doing so, please just remain seated and listen. Just close your eyes and just let the, the picture run through your head. But if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His Holy Word, beginning at chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What a mighty God. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. Plant it in our hearts. Make it come alive in our minds. And help us, Father, to see the truth that you have provided for us. May we take that truth. Embrace it. Own it. Let it own us so that our lives would set us apart from the world around us. Father, we live in a world where faith comes under fire. I pray now that you would teach us this morning how to embrace, how to embrace that conflict and how to honor you through it. As we look in the life of Daniel. Teach us what we need to know. And give us the courage and grace to walk in it. For we pray this in Jesus name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. King Darius saw. That Daniel was different. He, He was unlike anyone else. The others around him seemed to be self-serving, intent on gaining what was best for themselves, while Daniel seemed to be a man whose heart was focused upon serving and serving well uh, the king before him. And so King Darius kept Daniel in a place a position, a place of great power. And all of that did was create jealousy in the hearts and minds of those who were around Daniel. And Daniel was the top man in the kingdom. 
And those who longed for that place, longed for that position, longed for that power, began to work to devise a plot to undercut Daniel and destroy him in the eyes of the king and perhaps even physically, literally destroy him. Daniel was delivered. By his faithfulness and by God's goodness, Daniel survived. And and I just want us to look into this account and see what we might learn this morning that would be of benefit to us. Now, uh, before I go any further, before I even really start, I I just want you to, to think for a moment. I want to ask you a question. Did you notice during this reading some of the similarities between Daniel and Jesus? Did you notice some of the similarities that we find here in Daniel chapter 6 that we also find in the gospel? I see a lot of deer in the headlights. see a few people saying, hmm, perhaps. Let me just point out a couple of things to you. When they tried to trap Daniel, what did they find? No fault. We're not going to find any fault in this man unless it has to do with the law of his God. Why? Because he was righteous. He was upright in character. He was honorable. He did that which was right, just like our Lord did. I love this. He's judged. No fault found in him except that, well, he was in violation of this one decree, which they brought him and they put him in the den. Did you notice what happened next? A stone was rolled over it, and the seal of the king was placed upon it. Why? So that his situation might not be altered or changed. That morning, the king came quickly at daylight, at first light, to that cave to see what he would find. And guess what? Daniel was alive. Do you see some similarities happening here? Isn't it amazing how God teaches us things by repetition? I think so. There's an amazing similarity here that I want you to see because I want you to understand something. The Old Testament is not some detached document that has nothing to do with us as Christians. God's word is whole. It is complete from beginning to end. It is all interconnected. If you truly want to understand the New Testament, you have to know the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament, want to understand it, you need to learn what happens in the New Testament. It is all interlocked. That's what God has done. And it is an amazing thing that he has done, that we have this amazing book written by so many authors over so many years in multiple languages. And yet it all bears the truth, and ties itself together. Well, that was all free. Let's consider what we need to learn this morning from Daniel's life, shall we? Simple things, little things, not not anything that's particularly earth-shattering, but things that we need to be aware of. The first thing is this, that those who are faithful will face persecution. The world does not particularly like those who are doing things God's way. That was the truth then. It's still the truth now, folks. It's just a reality that we have to come to deal with. Daniel was despised by those around him. Isn't it amazing? You read what they had to say about him. He was honest. He was upright. He was righteous. They could find no fault in him, but they still wanted to get rid of him. 
Why is that? Maybe it could have been because his life made them feel guilty about their lives. I don't know. All I know was that they were jealous of him. They wanted his position. They wanted his power. They wanted his authority. They wanted his place. Why? Because Daniel was serving God and God was blessing him. Listen, serving God has never been easy. It has always been a costly endeavor. You study the Old Testament and you find that the prophets were often opposed. They were rejected, they were cast out, they were jailed, they were put to death. Being a prophet of God was not always a cakewalk, folks. There was great difficulty involved in it. You can carry that on over into the New Testament era and look at the life of John the Baptist and his ministry. John was like those Old Testament prophets in that he was rejected. He was, he was an outcast. People thought he was some kind of nut job coming in out of the desert. The way he dressed and what he ate and the message that he preached over and over and over. One message. John had one message. That was it. He didn't have a, a file cabinet full of sermons. He didn't have an entire book to draw from. He had one message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's it. Say, well, it wasn't that bad. Excuse me, he was beheaded. They finally had enough of this man and his righteousness and the word of God. Well, the same kind of thing was going on in the life of Daniel. Chapter 6, verse 4. If you've got your Bible open, you can look at it. At this... The administrators, the stay traps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. They're looking for any way in his conduct of his governmental affairs or duties. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. They turned on him. No reason. He was a good man. I mean, can I just say something? I read this verse and I think to myself, man, I wish we had guys like that in our government today. Don't you? Wouldn't it be, aw- wouldn't it be awesome if we could look through our government and we could look at people and say, well, nothing we can find on these people. They're honest. They're, they're trustworthy. There's no corruption in them. I'd like to find one. And yet they resented it. And they were seeking to destroy him. Listen, can I just tell you something? Bring this fast forward into our time. Jesus said it would be difficult to follow him. I know that that runs contrary to so much of the theology that's being preached today and so many messages that you can hear on the internet or on television. But I'm just going to tell you something. You better blow all that out and get rid of it and get it out of your mind and get back to the gospel truth. Jesus said it's going to be difficult and costly if you're going to follow him. He told his disciples that they were going to follow him. It was a path of of self-denial. It was a path of serving others rather than self. It was a path that would lead to hardship and death that the world would not understand. The world would not accept them for who they were and what they did. He told his disciples that just as the people of the world has hated me, they're going to hate you. And yet we live in this world, in this culture today, where people say, well, if you just believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. I don't think so. It's not what Jesus said. 
Ultimately, all of the disciples of Jesus, with the exception of John, would be martyred for their faith. They would die in various ways, none of them pleasant. John was the sole exception. You say, well, at least there's hope. There's still a chance. I want you to know that John spent years as an exile on Patmos. Well, yeah, that's where he wrote the Revelation. Do you know what Patmos is? It's a giant rock quarry out in the middle of the sea. It's an island prison. It's a, it's a concentration camp where people were sent to work themselves to death. If you're faithful, you need to understand persecution will come. It may come in various forms. It may come in various ways. If it doesn't come, count yourself very blessed. But the reality is the world is not going to look upon you with great delight if you are living as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Jesus told us it would be like this. And I've told you all of that to tell you this. <laughs> if you would follow God... Expect problems. It's not always going to be easy. Daniel was placed under the spotlight of his enemies. They were going to examine his life day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, searching for faults in him. They watched him. They, they examined his lifestyle. They, they considered his habits, his, his practices. And I love this because it says they were unable to find any fault in him. What an amazing testimony for Daniel. What amazing credit given him. It would be for any of us, wouldn't it? To be thoroughly searched and found to be without fault. I read these verses and again I find myself thinking about Jesus after everything he had son, said, everything that he had done, everywhere that he had gone, everyone that he had touched, he stands before Pilate. He stood before Herod. He stands before Pilate. Pilate looks at the crowd and says, I find no fault in this man. Same was true of Daniel. They examined his life and they found no fault in Let me just tell you how the world deals with this. Are you ready? I want you to listen to this because you need to pay very careful attention to this. doesn't matter if you're young, not so young. What the world did in Daniel's day, they will still do today and are doing. Okay? If you can't corrupt the man, by the way, note takers, this is your note right here, okay? If you can't corrupt the man, Corrupt the system. So what do you mean by that? They searched his life. They examined his practices. They examined everything about him. And they could find no fault in him. So what do you do? You pass a law that makes righteousness illegal. You pass a law that makes honoring God Illegal. Now I just want you to think for a minute. I, I shouldn't have to point out. You ought to be able to come up with your own examples. Because we are living in a culture where we have 
legislated immorality. And we have outlawed morality. We've come to a place where we have chosen to call evil good and good evil. Some of you still don't get it. I can tell by the looks on your faces. So let's get real plain and down to the point. Who are you going to bake a cake for? What ceremony are you going to make flower arrangements for? How many unborn infants have to die? If you can't corrupt the people, corrupt the system. Because see, here's what you find when you begin to pass those laws. is so many of the people who said no. Suddenly through their actions and lives begin to live yes. We put on the camouflage. And we begin to blend into the world. They went to the king and they puffed up his ego. Oh, King Darius, live forever. Well, that's what every ruler wants to hear, right? We have put our heads together and we think this is a great idea. Write and sign into law a decree. So that no one within your kingdom has the freedom to worship or pray to anyone other than yourself, your royal highness. The king said, hey, sounds pretty good. Kind of makes me a big deal. And they passed the law. You see, they understood that if Daniel was the man they thought he was, he would violate the king's law. And in doing so, he would forfeit his life. If Daniel was not the man they thought he was, if he honored the law above his God, then he would destroy his own credibility. He would wipe out his own testimony and he would show himself to be less than what he claimed to be. So what they did was create for Daniel a lose-lose situation by corrupting the system. The decree passed into law and Daniel was sent to the lion's den. Why? Because he kept doing what he'd been doing. Three times a day he opened those windows to the west and he prayed toward Jerusalem, toward the holy city, toward the temple mount. He gave thanks to God. He presented his petitions. Daniel kept doing what Daniel had always done, petitioning God for his needs as always, calling upon God for guidance and direction as he always had. Listen, Daniel was no idiot. Daniel was not stupid. He knew that this had been and was the key to his success in service to the king and his kingdom. 
Just go back through the first six chapters. Without God, Daniel would have lost the contest over the diet. Chapter 1. Without God, he could not have interpreted the dreams in chapters 2 and 4 that led to his recognition and promotion within the kingdom. Without God, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, would have perished in the furnace. But instead, the Lord came and walked with them through the fire. And yet, it is this very commitment, it is Daniel's dedication to God that now sends him to the lion's den. They were plotting his demise, passing laws, doing everything they could to jeopardize his place in life. And do you know what Daniel did? He kept on praying. He kept on praying. And that brings me to the last point for this morning. And I I just want you to understand what I'm about to tell you is not anything new, but it is something you need to hear. And it's something you need to hang your hat on. It's simple. When questions come or crises arrive, pray. Folks, we ought to be a people of prayer all the time. Good times and bad. We ought to be a people of prayer. We ought to be praying. Can I just tell you, one of my favorite terms in all of the Christian world is this little term, prayer warriors. Where would we be without them? Where would our churches be without prayer warriors? Let me ask you a better question. Where would you be without prayer warriors? I had a couple of grandmothers that prayed for me insistently for decades. I had a mother that prayed for me. I had a father that prayed for me. My mom and dad still pray for me every day. They have been the prayer warriors of my life. I've had prayer warriors in every church that I've ever served. People that I knew when the word gets out to them, they're hitting their knees and heaven is going to shake and hell is going to be scared to death. And no matter what happened in Daniel's life, no matter what changed in the legal system, no matter what laws were passed, Daniel's prayer life remained unchanged. Even knowing what it would cost him. Daniel prayed. Got your Bible open? Look at verses 10 and 11, chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, it was now law. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. Giving thanks to his God. Here here it is. You ready? This, This is your underlined phrase right here. Just as he had done before. You know what changed when the law changed? You know what changed in Daniel's life? Nothing. They could corrupt the system, but he refused still to be corrupted. And so then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Off he goes. Headed to the lion's den. Now, we've got to fly fast to the finish. Are you ready? I think it's amazing when you read this tale, you understand that even King Darius wanted Daniel's life spared. Darius expressed his hope 
that the prayers of Daniel and the power of Daniel's God would be proven during that night. In verse 16, you got your Bible? Follow along with me very quickly. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel. They threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Daniel, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I don't know your God. I I know that you know him and I know that he knows you. And I've seen how he's worked in your life. and, and, And I hope, I pray that he will come through for you. It seems to me that Darius had a little bit of faith or at least he hoped that Daniel's God could and would rescue him. Oh, he spent a sleepless night. We're told he didn't eat. He didn't have any entertainment brought before him. He, he couldn't even sleep that night. He was so filled with anguish, concern about what was happening in the life of Daniel. Down to verses 19 and 20, we read at the first light of dawn. The king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? I don't know what Daniel was like. If he was like a lot of the students I've worked with in the past, he would have said, shh, y'all be quiet for a minute. Let's see what the king does. And then he cried out to the king. I'm still here. (laughs) I had someone ask me one time. Preacher. What do you think Daniel did during those nighttime hours? Scripture doesn't tell us. Now. If you were to push me and say, would you make an educated guess? My educated guess is that Daniel spent the night praying. My educated guess is that he spent the night talking to God and saying, Lord, I'm not sure exactly why I'm over here and the lions are over there. And I'm not sure exactly why it is that they haven't come over to sniff me out, check me out, taste me out. But whatever it is you're doing, God, keep doing it. I heard a preacher say one time that on that night, God millennialized those lions. And they laid down with the sheep. Verse 18 tells us that King Darius spent the night fasting. But you know what's amazing to me is not that he spent the night fasting, but the lions spent the night fasting. When they broke their fast the next morning, it was a scene of carnage and death and gore. This is why I tell you, these aren't all just kids' stories, all right? Verse 24 says that the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. What a mighty God. Listen to me, friends. The point of this account is not to glorify Daniel. It's not to exalt the creative power of God who could make these lions that could play catch with bodies being thrown in. It's not to expand upon the gory ending of those treacherous government officials who attacked God's man. 
Now, the point of this entire account is to make sure that God, the one true, living, real God, is given all the glory and honor. Say, so, well, how do you know that? Did you read the last couple of verses? Darius was not a believer. Darius was a pagan king, but he sits down and he writes a letter to all the subjects of his kingdom. Verses 25 and following, look at this. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. And here's the letter. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree. Oh, this is a new law, by the way. Man, how I would love to see a law like this in our country today. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The whole letter can be summarized in this way. People, he is God. God and God alone has the power, has the authority, has the might to save. He did it then and he still does it today. To those who call out to him, there is no shame. To those who humble themselves before Him, honor Him with their lives, repent of their sin, and surrender their life to Him, there is no shame. He still saves. He still saves those who trust Him and those who walk by faith. One question for you. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? Not asking, do you know about this God? I'm asking you, do you know this God? And does He know you? Today, in the era of which we live, there's only one way to know Him. That's through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. So that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I know there are people who say, well, you don't understand who I am. You don't know where I've been, the things I've done, what I've gotten involved in. I don't, but God knows. Say, preacher, it's horrendous sin. Yes, it is. And God forgives sin to those who confess and repent. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know him? You can today. Friend, listen to me. What happens when the Word of God is opened is an amazing miracle. 
The Spirit of God shows us truths that we would not find otherwise just reading it on our own. He begins to show us the truth of who God is and who we are. The need in our hearts and lives. And I hear people want to argue about whether God calls or whether we cry out to Him. Listen, if you're crying out to God, it's because He's given you an awareness that you need Him. And His Spirit is calling you and drawing you. And today, I invite you, call on Him. Confess your sin. Ask His forgiveness. Surrender your will to His and let him do an amazing work in your life. His word says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things pass away. All things become new. That's what God does when we are in Christ. Are you in him today? Maybe today is the day you need to cry out to him. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. Are you wearing camouflage? Or are you throwing open the windows and crying out to God just like you've always done? The world is looking. They'd love to destroy you. Don't give them the bullets to do it with. Take off the camouflage. And let the light of Christ that's in you shine out through you. And let's be light in darkness. Who knows how God might take that and use it to impact this broken world we live in. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a, a song of surrender, a song of commitment. Song of invitation. For the simple reason that, you know, I believe any time that the word of God is put forth, there needs to be an opportunity for people to respond to that, whether they do it publicly, whether they do it privately. It may be that you need to talk to someone, you want someone to pray with you, maybe you just need to stand where you're at and you need to talk to God and let him speak to your heart. Whatever it is that you need to do, I just pray that you would do it. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't know him, but I want to, Man, I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to show you from the Word of God how you today can become, you can be moved. You can be moved from the position of being the creation of God to becoming the child of God. He wants to do that in your life if you'll let Him. In a moment, we stand and begin saying, just come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I want to know Him. He'll let that work in your life. Maybe you're my brother or sister in Christ, but you're saying, you know what? I've been wearing the camouflage. I've been blending into the world. People watch me. They look at me. They listen to me. They don't know that I'm any different than they are. Maybe it's time for something to change. Would you ask your master today, change whatever you need to in me to make me what you want me to be? Let my life show Jesus. Maybe God's leading you toward a ministry. Maybe he's leading you toward this church. Maybe he's leading you to renew the relationship within your marriage or between you and your children. 
I don't know how God speaks or does what he does. I just know I'm amazed by it and I'm so thankful he does it. If he's speaking to you today, there's a matter of the heart that needs to be dealt with. Hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. For the record of this man's life. (laughs) A life that reveals integrity, righteousness. A life that issues a challenge to each one of us. Father, we know we live in a broken, sinful world. We're called to follow you, to honor you, to allow our lives to reflect you. And sometimes we do well, and most times we struggle. We struggle so hard. Father, I pray today that you would look across this room, that you would see each heart. If there's someone here who does not know you today, your spirit is calling them, drawing them. I pray, Father, that they would hear your voice and they would respond in obedience and surrender. Let this be a day of rejoicing as they become your children. Father, there are some of my brothers and sisters struggling with issues of the heart, matters of life. And I just pray that today you would give them guidance, you'd give them direction, you'd give them counsel, just as you did Daniel and his friends. That they might walk with you and they might walk by faith and not by sight. Father, I don't know what it is you desire to do in each heart. But I do know this. You promised You promised that your word would not go forth and return to you without accomplishing your purpose. So I pray today that your purpose be fulfilled in each heart, in each life, in each home that's represented here. Be glorified today, Father, in the lives of these, your people. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.